0: Welcome to week two of Joseph. If you're new with us, Joseph is a big deal in the Bible, first book, Genesis, and we're looking at his life because Joseph, he took a lot of detours in life. Some of you are on a detour right now. It could be financial or relational, just in your spiritual journey, and the problem with detours is sometimes you just feel stuck. And Joseph's life gives us a model of how to come out the other side of the detour better than when we went in. So if you're new to us, welcome to campus. I hope you have a great experience. If you're watching online, look, I get it. I Yelp restaurants before I go to the restaurant. So hope to see you soon. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter 39. Now last week, Ashley was in Genesis chapter 37. We're in 39. I wanna introduce with this kind of odd idea. I've been thinking about people who go to prison. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Well, Joseph's about to go to prison, that's why I'm thinking about it. And it seems like there's a difference between the amount of time it takes to commit a crime and the amount of time that you spend in prison for that crime. thought about that? Like a millisecond, you pull the trigger, and decades of your life go by in prison. So I reached out to Roger, he leads one of our great CCV mission partners, just called Rescued Not Arrested. He goes into prisons and shares the gospel with people. And he told me three stories of people that this truth is true about. Here's the truth. Sometimes we think that a moment determines a lifetime. But the reality is for people in prison, it was a lifetime that determined the moment. And so I reached out to Roger and said, Hey, can you tell me any stories that match that? And he said, Well, all the stories match that. He told me about a young man who was a coach for a competitive youth sports league. He was good. His players loved him, their parents loved him, and he took advantage of both for personal gratification. And when he got caught, he lost his marriage, he lost his job, and he lost his freedom. There was another story of a woman, mother of three, good woman, bad past. And to medicate her pain, she used alcohol and then decided to drink and drive. Then when she got caught, it changed everything. It wasn't the moment that changed her life, it was the life that changed the moment. 22-year-old young man made foolish choices in friends, which we all do at 22, right? And his roommate had anger management issues. Came out in a violent rage one night. And just defending himself, he killed his roommate. And then made the foolish decision to cover it up. And when they discovered the body, he went to prison. Now why am I telling you those three stories? Because most of you are not going to go to jail or go to prison. But you can still be in a place where you think, because of the moment, that changed the rest of my life. The reality is, it's your life that changed the moment. And you might sit here and say, yeah, but my life will never be the same. My life is is, is ruined from here on out. No, not true. See, all three of those people that I just told you about, they're all three members of CCV They've gotten out of incarceration, they met the Lord while in prison, and now they come each week and serve other people on our campuses, and that could be you. Your story is not over yet. Like there's still another chapter to be written. So just a word of hope. For those of you in the detour, word of hope, it's not over yet. But I'm not talking about what happens after the moment. I wanna talk about what happens before the moment. And this is important. I don't want to ask the question how can a moment alter your life. I want to ask what kind of a life prepares for a life altering moment. That's what's on the table today. And we're going to be in chapter 39. Last week when when Ashley left off, Joseph was 17 years old. Not many wise people at 17. I get it. And Ashley actually showed you a picture of himself at 17. Like, I'm not going to do that because that would be embarrassing. <laughs> what? Hey, at 17, I had hair. I did not have wisdom. If Some of you know this because you just dropped off your kid at college, right? And you're going, dear Lord, please, dear Lord, be with a child. And if it's a male child, I probably shouldn't tell you this. You know that men's brains don't fully develop until age 25 and you know what the last part of the brain to develop is it's right here it's the frontal cortex and that's what you use to make decisions in your life oh well that explains a lot doesn't it (laughs) so Joseph is now about 25 his brain is fully developed by the way 25 for those of you just dropped off a kid at college that's about when most of them will finish their four-year degree They will be wiser, you will be poorer. But when Joseph gets to the age of 25, he's going to encounter one of these life-altering moments here in chapter 39. And the question is whether his 17-year-old self will dominate or whether the 25-year-old self will dominate. Because often when you go through a a crisis, a, a, a severe pain, you can get stuck in the emotional maturity of the age when you were abused. So will Joseph be his 17-year-old self or his 25-year-old self during this point of crisis? Let me just read a few verses to catch us up in the story. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, so he's a big deal. He was a captain of the guard, so he's a rough and tumble dude. He bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. So Potiphar, big deal, rough and tumble dude, his right-hand man is Joseph. Not at 17, but over the years, He proved himself. He he developed his character, and he was raised in his position in the household. Now, at 24, 25, Potiphar put him in charge of his house, and he entrusted his care of everything he owned. From the time he put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph." The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. That's good news, right? And then we read this statement. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Cool, right? Problem. Next sentence. Joseph was well-built and handsome. Now I wouldn't know anything about this, but I've heard that guys who are well-built and handsome sometimes have women throw themselves at them. So I'm told. (laughs) The woman throwing herself at Joseph right now happens to be Potiphar's wife. That's the problem. Here's the way it rolls out in verse seven. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Well, that was subtle. What do, they, what do they call that? Uh, an older woman who goes after a younger man? Panther? P- puma? What? Cougar! Yeah, cougar! <laughs> yeah, that's right. You could also call her a cheetah. <laughs> now, I, I'm not even going to apologize for that. Just, <laughs> see, you thought it was for you. No, that was totally for me. You're welcome. Verse eight. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and, get this, sin against God? Well, what about sinning against Potiphar? Yeah, I sin against Potiphar, but... That's not his highest priority. See, if you're concerned about what others think around you, maybe you could lose your job if you think, that speaks to your discipline, but not your character. Well, what about sinning against Potiphar's wife? Yeah, she's, she's a wife, and that would be adultery, that would be wrong, so it, yeah, it would be sin against Potiphar's wife, but that's not his highest priority. See, if you get caught in some kind of an affair, that, that could damage your reputation, so that is an issue of discipline. But for Joseph, this is now an issue of character. What I'm saying is your discipline will get you only so far. It is your character that will get you past that moment that is life-altering. And you will know that you have character when God is elevated above all other concerns so that even if no one was looking but God, you would still act the same way. Then you know you're ready for the defining moment Of your life. Verse 10. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now I want I want to pause here for a moment and say, we know more about self-control than we ever have, scientifically. Did you know that self-control is much like a physical muscle in your body? That in order to build it, you have to exercise it. But right after you exercise it, you fatigue it. On any given day, I can resist any given temptation. But there are some days when I'm worn down, when I'm worn out, when I'm emotionally exhausted, that I become more vulnerable to particular temptations. And so Joseph is being pounded day after day after day, and he's, he's getting worn down by this. And it, it happened on one particular day. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph has trouble hanging on to his cloaks. Have you noticed that? And you know what the Bible says Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Okay, that's not really in the Bible. (laughs) But it should be because it's God's honest truth. Watch what happens, verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And when Potiphar came home, she said, honey, that Hebrew slave, the one that you put in charge of everything, he tried to rape me. And so Potiphar throws me in prison. That sucks. I mean, it's bad enough that when you, when, <laughs> yeah, i know, it's bad enough <laughs> when you get in trouble for doing the wrong thing. But when you get in trouble for doing the right thing, and some of you are right there right now. You should have got the promotion, you deserved it. But because you played fair, because you played by the rules, someone else got it. You're going through a divorce, and you're, you're trying to be kind, you're trying to do what's right, and you're getting taken advantage of. You've you got friends that you're, you're taking a moral stand and you're losing friendship because of the moral stand you're taking. It's bad enough when you get punished for doing the wrong thing. When you get punished for doing the right thing, I just wanna say to all of those of you who are struggling right now because you've done the right thing and you feel like you're getting punished for it, before you shake your fist at God, you need to know the righteous are always vindicated. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, But you will be vindicated in God's time. And you don't know what God is up to. God is doing something with Joseph right here. He has no clue that he's about to be elevated above Potiphar. And there's something else that you should really really know. Even those who are punishing you, they know. They do. Let me ask you a question. If you were the captain of Pharaoh's guard and someone attempted to rape your wife, Would you put them in prison, or would you put them in the ground? Why didn't Potiphar kill Joseph? Because he knows Joseph is innocent. And even those who are pushing you around right now, persecuting you right now, they know you're innocent. And the reason I know they know is because how? The guard of the prison responded. Before we get him in prison, I I just want to I just wanna make one other observation here before we move on, because this this is critical for all of us. If you're a a Christ follower, this is critical for you. If you're not a Christ follower, equally critical for you. It's not a Christian thing, it's just a human thing. Here's the principle. How you respond is important. How you respond to others' response is critical, and it's critical for your character. We see this in the NFL all the time. Some dude comes and just, Cheap shot's a player. He doesn't get flagged for it. But the player who retaliates, they're the ones that get the flag, and you're just going, what up with that? It happens from your childhood on, doesn't it? Anyone have a younger brother or sister? Aren't they pests? I mean, they're they're problematic, and they push you and push you and push you, and you finally retaliate, and who gets in trouble? You. It's not fair, but it's real. It happens at work. It happens in your marriage. In fact, I would suggest that in your romantic relationships, the number one issue that causes tension is not how you respond, but how you respond to their response. Because how you respond, that reveals your discipline. How you respond to someone's response, that reveals your character. And it is only your character, not your discipline, that will allow you, in the life-altering moment, it will allow you to seize the moment rather than the moment seizing you. Don't despair. God has his eye on you. Watch what happens. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. That's exactly what happened in Pharaoh's, or in Potiphar's house. I think God is blessing Joseph but I think God is blessing Joseph through a good word from Potiphar who said hey I got to punish this guy because I got to stay married but treat him well watch what happens next so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there that's exactly what happened in Potiphar's house The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. Joseph gave him success in whatever he did. And that's exactly what happened in Potiphar's house. Now, I I should probably get Joseph out of prison, but I'm just going to leave him there for a while. We'll let Ashley get him out next week. But I want to stay in the prison with you. And here's why. Some of you right now are on this detour in life and you feel like you're trapped. You feel like you're stuck. Like life will never again be the same, and you're probably right. It it will never again be the same, but it doesn't mean it will never again be good. All of us, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but all of us have our next life-altering moment right around the corner. How you deal with that will not be the moment that determines your life, but it's your life that determines the moment. The Apostle Paul says something really insightful. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And some of you at the moment right now are saying, no one's ever gone through this before. Yeah, they have. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but there's someone in the row right next to you. If you're watching online, there's someone like right next door to you that's going through something very similar to you. The, the, nothing that we go through, whether it's financial or emotional, mental, spiritual, nothing is new under the sun. And there are others who have not only gone through it, but gone through it successfully, and you can too. Why? Because of this promise. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is a way out. There is a way out. Now, you can either make a way out or you can make an excuse. You can't do both. What, what do, you do you want to do? You want to make a way out? There's a way out. Or do you want to make an excuse? Because if you want to make an excuse, like for, for those of you who like you want to stay in the detour, I can help you with that. Because I don't want to brag, but... When it comes to making excuses for sins, I'm about the best I know. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you, like, this is, don't share this with anybody else, this is just for you. I wanna share with you my top three excuses for when I sin, how I justify my sin. Here's the first one I justify it. I say, look at the good that I'm doing. So I, I might say, hey, God, you, you know I preached this weekend, right? Like, you saw that. That counts for something, right? And then I did some counseling with this couple. I really helped them out. So, I mean, the good I've done, and and I I prayed a lot this week, so like, add all that up. Don't you think I deserve a little something something on the side? I mean, the sin I'm talking about, it's not really a big deal, right? It's just a little thing compared to all the big things. Have any of you ever done that? Oh, sure you have. Like, I went to church last week, so, you know, a little something on the side. God, have you seen my tithe check? It's pretty big. Surely, this is nothing, nothing, in compared to that big old tithe check. This past couple of years have been devastating for many major Christian pastors across our country. Entire ministries that have done so much good, and they have, have now crumbled to nothing because of the character flaws of their leaders. How, how does a leader do that? Like I could, I could list some names, but that wouldn't be healthy for you. And to be honest with you, I don't want to point the finger at myself. Like We're all guilty of this to some extent or another. I, I could list the names, but you've seen the podcast. You've read the headlines. There are ministries that do not exist today because a leader uh, bullied other people on staff, because he took advantage financially where he shouldn't have, where he took liberty sexually where he shouldn't have, and when it came out, not just the leader, but those around him said, Well, we overlooked some things because of all the good that was being done. That is so, so dangerous. And it's just as dangerous for you. And I want to show you a principle that is universally true. It's as true of me as it is of you. Privacy and opportunity always leads to sin eventually. Privacy and opportunity always leads to sin eventually. Because it's that self-control principle that you get worn down and worn down and worn down. If you're tempted sexually and you go to a hotel room, you'll probably be okay the first time you go to a hotel room alone. Probably the 10th, 20th, 175th. But by 9,256, on any given day, I can resist any given temptation, but on another given day, There's another temptation that wears me down. If you have privacy and if you have opportunity, you will always eventually sin. What's the solution? It's pretty simple, guardrails. You have to put a guardrail, if you have privacy and opportunity, you either need to put a guardrail around your privacy or a guardrail around the opportunity. I'll just tell you, on staff here, we have some very clear guardrails. So for example, uh, our staff, none of us, will be in a room with the opposite sex alone. Not in an office with the door closed, not in a car with the door closed, not at a restaurant by ourselves. we just won't do it. You might say, well that's kinda weak, maybe. But it makes us strong. There are guardrails that my wife and I put in place. We have that location device on our phone. She always knows where I am. I always know where she is. Is that because we don't trust each other? No. It just makes it way easier to trust each other that we already trust. Financially, every time I swipe a credit card, every time she swipes her credit card, we know. It's just accountability. The problem is, a lot of us have way more privacy than we're able to give accountability for. My very best friend, he's a a dynamic Christian man, an incredible ministry leader, and I trust him with my life. But after one of these pastors fell sexually, I asked him straight up, if you were having an affair, how would I know? he thought about it, and he said, you wouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't have accountability, but in that area, it's not with me. What areas do you have privacy that no one knows about? Because if you have privacy and you have opportunity, you will always eventually sin. And it could be a life-altering moment. But I want to share a story with you. I'm not not proud of this, but I hope it's helpful. Uh, Going back to 1987, my very first ministry, San Antonio, Texas, a little church in San Antonio, uh, Jean McElhaney had emphysema, so she couldn't leave her house. So I'd go visit Jean every week just to cheer up, pray with her, sometimes we'd play cards. Her husband was not a Christian. In fact, (laughs) he was a pagan, And I loved him. He loved me. So I don't know if he was a bad pagan or if I was a good bad Christian. You decide. But I'd go visit them all the time. And Jean, uh, this is going to date me, she was fascinated with this scandal of Jimmy Baker and Jessica Hahn. Some of you remember. She followed every story of Jessica Hahn. Every story, including the Playboy interview with her. She told her pagan husband, "Hey, I want you to go get me a Playboy so I can read that Christian article in there." <laughs> Life is just too weird sometimes. So I go visit Jean, and she said, "Oh, it was a great article. Here, I'll give you the magazine. You can read it." I go, "No, I'm good." She goes, "No, you can take it with you. I know you won't look at the pictures." I said, "No, I'm not good." I walked out of her house, and I get in my car, and I'm driving back to the office, and. And I just went into a cold sweat because I started planning how I could get that magazine. It's it's there, it's at her house, I'm there every week. I could excuse myself to go to the bathroom, I knew where her bedroom was, or probably on the nightstand, I could grab it, hide it. I couldn't believe that I was making plans like that. So I go to the office and I called a dear friend of mine, his accountability partner, said, Doug, here's, here's the situation. I need you to ask me, next week, did I take it? And the week after, did I take it? And the week after, did I take it? You might say, well, that's that's kind of weak. Yeah. But it made me strong. And instantly, the cold sweats went away. Because I had removed the privacy. I still had the opportunity, but I removed the privacy. And so I could live without Satan on my back. I'm just telling you, if you have privacy or opportunity, you will eventually sin. Put guardrails around one or the other. The second kind of excuse that we use is we explain our sin away. Because of my history, you can't really blame me. Look, we all have excuses for our sins. You you might say, man, if you'd been through what I'd been through, you would do exactly the same thing. You're probably right, but not everybody does. In fact, let me just go back to Joseph for a second. Joseph it has a sexual temptation in front of him. He had zero model of sexual purity in his family. I mean, his father had four sexual partners. Two were legal wives. Okay, that's kind of a problem. Two were non-legal wives. That's even more of a problem. He, he's looking at his own dad, and his dad is sleeping with all these, all these women. And his brother, his brother was worse. Did any of you notice that we skipped over chapter 38? You know why? I'm not gonna tell you. I will just say chapter 38 is TVMA. It is, it's nasty. I mean, not just nasty, it's kind of like the Las Vegas Strip gets transported to rural Arkansas. Like all three teeth and all, it's wrong, it's wrong. Some some of you sitting there going right now, what chapter was that? I I ain't never read the Bible before, but that sounds interesting. All right, go get him, cowboy. (laughs) Anything to get you into God's word. Joseph had no model of sexual purity, but he still withstood the temptation. Why? Here's the solution: character. It's not your your discipline can determine your response. It is your character that determines your response to the response. So how do you build character? That's a great question. I'm gonna answer it in just a minute. Number three, the third excuse is to blame. This is the most fun one, honestly. They made me do it. It is literally the oldest trick in the book, and by the book, I mean the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned, they they took the fruit, and you know, there's only one other human being in the world, Adam and Eve, and then there's gods with them. So there's three of them there in the garden. And after they sinned, God said, Adam, uh, why'd you do it? You know what he does? He says, the woman that you gave me. Like there's no one else to point at. He has blamed literally every other person that he could blame. And you're laughing because you do exactly the same thing. I do too. It's like, well, them and them and this and that. And you might be right. But being right doesn't make it right. Ashley brought this up last week. It was such a brilliant observation. We're going to revisit it again. But in a detour, there's you, there's God, and there's another person. And you can blame God all you want. But the fact of the matter is, you don't understand what God is up to. And that's okay. The other person, you can blame them and you're probably right, but you can't change the other person. The only person you can change is you. And if you change you, then you can change the detour. So how do you get past the blame game? Here's how. You build self-control. Self-control is as close to a magic wand as we have. In fact, there was some scientific research on People with self-control. I I just want to read a few of these items on here. People with self-control live longer, they're happier, they get better grades, they're less depressed, they're more physically active, this blew my mind, they have lower resting heart rates, they're more helpful to others, better jobs, earn more money, better marriages, and sleep better at night. Anyone interested? (laughs) Like you don't have to be a Christian to be interested in that, you just have to be a human to be interested in that. How do you build self-control? Here's the answer through habits, specifically gateway habits. There's some habits that are gateway habits, meaning as soon as you practice the one thing, two or three others automatically fall into place. Here's one, this will surprise you, make your bed. If you make your bed every day, there's like two or three things you automatically do in succession. It's It's like cheating. It's a fast track to discipline. So make your bed, but that's not what I'm talking about. I want to give you six different potential self-control disciplines, habits that will build your self-control, that lead to a character, that can stand any test of any moment, that could alter the rest of your life. You ready? That's, I, I got to warn you here, because some of you are going to go, okay, six, six, I'll do, I'll do at least five of those. Stop it, you eager beavers. One. You get one. Here's my challenge to you. What habit, singular, do you need to build to increase your self-control? And some of you are going to look at the habits and you're going to go, well, I'm already doing two or three, so yeah, those are the ones. No, stop it. Do a new one. Because if you're already doing it, it's not not going to give you an increase. So here are six habits that will build your self-control. Two of them are spiritual. Here's the first one. Start every week at CCV. It's it's a gateway habit that people who go to church every week automatically have other disciplines fall into place. Number two, start every day in scripture and prayer. It's just a gateway habit. And Look, we're not talking about an hour and a half. Like, I'm not that spiritual, okay? I'll just be honest. Can can we shoot for 10 minutes? Would that be okay? 10 minutes where you read one chapter of scripture. You go, I've never done it before. What do I do? I'm going to tell you. Read one chapter of scripture. And you can underline as many verses that like really move you, you're inspired by that, but one verse that challenges you to act in a different way. Like this verse is, man, if I did that, that would be hard. Like to to obey that verse, that's the verse you underline, write it on a three-by-five card, keep it with you that day, and for one hour, not all day, you're not that good, but for one hour could you obey that one verse for one hour, one day? That's the challenge. Here's number three. These are under the physical category. Number three is to pay cash. What? Yeah, your self-discipline with money is a gateway discipline to other areas. And so this is a page out of Dave Ramsey's book, Financial Peace University, pay cash. Like you go out to eat, pay cash. You go buy clothes, pay cash. You buy a car, pay cash. You'll feel like a drug dealer, but it's legal, it's like super fun, it's awesome. (laughs) Number four, practice a 36 hour fast. This is biblical to practice fasting from food. You eat dinner and then the next day, don't eat breakfast, don't eat lunch, don't eat dinner. Instead of eating, you pray. And the following day, you break the fast with breakfast. fast. That's how we got the name. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that says, my body's not gonna be in control today. There's some mental disciplines. And we're so distracted, aren't we? So here's a couple of simple things you could do to be less mentally distracted. Turn off social media notifications. And some of you are going, I don't know what those are. You're okay. (laughs) Don't let Facebook come to you. If you want to go to Facebook, fine, but don't let it come to you. Don't let Instagram come to you. You go to Instagram. You control the social media rather than it controlling you. Last, limit email to two times a day. Get in in the, Some of you, this is not possible because it's a part of your job, but if it is possible, look at email when you get into the office and look at email before you, And in the in-between the, in time, turn it off. Because what happens is all these notifications are distracting our attention and it leads to a lack of discipline. I don't know what habit you need to dig into, but all of us need to build self-control that builds character because it is only our character that will sustain us in that life-altering moment. The three people I mentioned at the top of the message, three real people, they'll remain anonymous. But these real people would say to you right now, it wasn't the moment that determined my life. It was the life that determined the moment. CCV, let's live a life of character, not just discipline, but of character that puts God first, so that he can bless not only us, but the people's homes that we find ourselves in. Let's pray. Lord, this is such a such an important and powerful truth. What you did for the life of Joseph, it's on offer for all of us. If we will prioritize you, you will bless our lives. You'll bless our homes. You'll bless our families, our employers, our friends. And I pray that those hearing this message would put it into practice so that your blessing could fall on our valley so that we could reach this entire valley for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, you come back next week. We need to get Joseph out of prison.